you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Exodus. That's where we'll be camping out this morning. You got it? All right. Exodus, you can turn there and pretend like you don't see this. We don't have a strange crew. We are a church plant. And Man, all you parents are going to take your kids out to lunch later on and be like, what in the world was he doing up there when he got to preach? Who is this guy? Again, my name is Pastor David, and uh, I'm so excited and glad that you've decided to join us here this morning, especially if today is your first Sunday. And uh, again, this is kind of like a family Sunday where we uh, honor those new babies and get to honor them. We've had five this year, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, um, but three of those are on our staff team. And uh, that's been a really cool story, not really, uh, but we had our, our worship leader and uh, his wife, Nicole, they had their baby in April, and then Jennifer and Logan, they had their second in June, and then my wife and I had our first in August. And so it's been a whirlwind of a year, but we are still here. And uh, parents, again, I just want to highlight one of these resources that we have over at our resource table. If you have a baby, if you have an eight-year-old, um, I know that whenever they sent us out of the, the doctor's office that night, we get ready to take our baby home for the first time. I said, uh, you're coming with us, right? Like, you're going to come with us, the nurse. And uh, she said, no, you're fine. You're on your own. She gave us the foot, and, and we were out, and, and we were on our own. And thankfully, my sister-in-law is a pediatric nurse, so everything was okay. Um, but we're so grateful for you. But um, I, I didn't know what to do, right? I didn't know what to do. And uh, parents, especially whenever it comes to discipling your kids, whenever it comes to raising them up in the Lord, I need resources. I need help. And so if you just look right over there at our resource table, we have one uh, It's called Parenting by the Book and another that's called Helping Children Understand the Gospel. And you can see that right over there at our connection table. We hope that you would pick up a copy of that. But this morning, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And let's just start reading and let's just see what happens. Exodus chapter 2. And uh, whenever you got it, say, I'm there. That's good. Exodus 2, starting in chapter 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, no longer, she took him for a basket, took a basket for him made of bulrushes, and she daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it. And she placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young, woman, uh, young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. I think that's really cool. And I will give you your wages. So the woman, just happened to be Moses' mother, took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, whenever Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens. 
And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And so he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, he says, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, I hope this morning that as you came this morning that I, I, you have a little bit of knowledge, prior knowledge about Moses and about his life. I'm just going to assume that you do. Maybe that's not a safe assumption, but I'm going to assume that you have a little bit of knowledge about Moses and who he is and his life and the story of the Exodus. And you might even notice this morning that we have called it Moses instead of Exodus. Why in the world are we doing that? We see over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the life of Moses and we're going to break down and dissect different events from his life and we're, all think, we're going to read through the book of Exodus together, Monday through Friday. And I hope that you'll play along with that, and we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. But Moses, maybe you've never thought about this before, maybe you've never read it through this perspective before, but Moses was an unhealthy leader. Moses was unhealthy. Moses was a great guy. He went on to do incredible things that were almost unparalleled throughout the Old Testament and even the Bible. But Moses, I, I think, is often inside the church. I think we often kind of glamorize Moses' life. I think we glamorize his situation. But here's the reality, that Moses was pretty unhealthy. That Moses had some unhealthy family situations. He had an unhealthy relationship with some of his friends. He had an unhealthy uh, relationship even with, his, with himself, some of the different things that were going on in his life, because we don't think about it like this, that at the beginning of Exodus we find out that Pharaoh, the ruler over Egypt, he looks out among the Hebrew people, the Israelites, and he says that there are far too many for us that if we don't start taking care of this, all of the Hebrew men are going to grow up into this army. They're going to side with all of the other nations, and they're going to wipe us out. And he said that this is a bad thing. So what they did in order to ensure that this wouldn't happen is that they started killing all the firstborn sons, all the firstborn babies, all the male babies there among the Hebrews. They said, if it is a male baby, we're going to put this child to death. And if it is a female, then it gets to live. So Moses' mother hears about this and obviously knows that this is going on. It's in the news. It's happening. And so she hides Moses, this beautiful baby boy, puts him in a basket, puts him in a river, floats him on down the river. It's amazing, a miracle of God that he even lived through this. But he lives, and it says that Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in the basket. She takes the baby home with her, and now you've got a Hebrew living inside the house of an Egyptian. You've got a slave who was supposed to be known as a slave, the bottom of society, the outcast of society, who's not even supposed to be alive, living at the top with the king of all of Egypt. And so if you can imagine, Moses kind of grows up with this complex. He grows up with this complex where on well, some days he's living with the poor Hebrew family. Some days he's living with the rich Egyptian. Some days he's spending time with his poor friends. Sometimes he's spending time with all of his rich friends. He's got his 
poor folks. He's got his rich folks. Sometimes he's, he's spending time with, with the south side. And then on the weekends, he gets to go to the north side a little bit. And so he's learning two different language, languages. He's eating two different foods. Moses is living between two different worlds. He's living with two families, two moms, two brothers, two sisters, all of the above. And if you can imagine with me for just a second, I'm sure, I'm sure if you just put yourself in Moses' shoes, he grows up with this sort of complex. Who am I? Who even am I? Am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Who's my real mother? Do I live with these folks? Is this my language? I'm going to eat this food. I'm going to eat that food. Who am I? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Maybe you live between two worlds at a place and time in your life. You see, this happens to Moses. Moses grows up with an identity complex. And because of this, he's got a little bit of unhealthiness within his life, right? He's unhealthy. He's unsure of who he is. He's unsure of his family, unsure of his circumstances. He grows up with this this complex, and there's just a lot of unhealthiness within his life and his lifestyle And I hear this all the time that pastors say this all the time. They say, brother, healthy things grow. And my response to that is unhealthy things grow too. It's called cancer. And in his life, Moses has got something growing in his life here. You see, we don't think about Moses this way, but he's got something growing within him. He's got something boiling up, bubbling up, and it's called anger and rage. It's called anger and it's called rage. This is boiling up within him and rightfully so because of his circumstances. And if you look with me in verse 12, something that he had boiling up, something that he had hidden, something that was a secret for him, something that only he dealt with in verse 12, it says that one day he looked out among his Hebrew people, the the people that he decided to be with, and he sees an Egyptian and he's striking down this Hebrew And Moses does the unthinkable, and he kills the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, and he goes a step further. He hid the body within the sand so that no one would find the body, and he hightails it away because he's obviously afraid of what could possibly happen. You see, here in this moment, everything that was bubbling up within is put on full display. Everything that was happening on the inside of him and this inferiority complex, whatever it might be, is put on display for the whole world to see. He's got anger, he's got rage, and now Moses is, he's a murderer. He is murdered an Egyptian. And the whole world just about knows it. Something struck a nerve within to see his people and obviously he makes a decision right here and he says those are my people he says the hebrew people are my people he says this is who i will decide to live with you see here's the deal that whatever lies beneath really matters whatever's on the inside that you think might be hidden one day will come to the surface and everybody's going to know it one day Everyone will know your secret, that thing that you have that might be just between you and God, that thing that's been bubbling up within, that thing that you think you've been dealing with your whole life. Listen to me, what lies beneath really matters. 
and it will come to the surface. Several years ago, my wife and I, we uh, had the opportunity to go on our honeymoon, and uh, it was right after the marriage, and we're going on a cruise, and came point in time for us to talk about, okay, what exciting things are we going to do on the cruise? What excursions are we going to take? And her only, uh, her only request was that we do nothing in the water because she was terrified of sharks. I said, baby, it's a cruise. We're going to be out in the ocean. We're going to be at the beach. We got to get in the water, right? And she said, I'll be fine as long as we don't do anything that's out in the water because I'm terrified of sharks. And I said, listen, baby, I'm your husband now. Don't worry about them sharks. I got you. If a shark comes, I got you. I'm your man. And she said, I don't believe you. And I said, but you should. I'm your man. I'm your husband. And finally, she says, you know what? Okay, we'll do it. And we, uh, we, we booked an excursion where we get to go and um, paddle. You get one of those paddle boats and stuff like that. We get to go scuba diving. And I'm saying, listen, the odds of us coming across a shark are there's zero. Like, it's zero. I promise you we will not see a shark. And uh, so we finally, we, we drove out with our tour guide, and, and we get out into the water, and we start paddling. Now, mind you, we do have a tour guide. He's from the Bahamas. He knows what he's doing. He's got one of those spear gun things. And I kid you not, two minutes into being into the water, the tour guide goes, if you look over there... And I said, I know what he's going to say, but I don't want to hear it. He said, if you look over there, you can see the fin of a shark. And my wife, immediately, she's in the front of the boat. She's in the front of the canoe, whatever it is. She turns around to me, and I kid you not, she has these laser beams of death. And she looked at me as if I was supposed to do something about the shark. And I said, but our tour guide has a spear gun. Like, he will take care of us. He will provide. I kid you not, two minutes into the water, he says, there's a shark, there's a shark. And I was not really there to protect her. But you see, here's the thing. As soon as the waters were stirred, whatever was on the bottom of the surface of the ocean came to the top. And just like in our lives, whatever is at the bottom Whatever we think is lying on the inside, as soon as we get stirred, as soon as our boats get rocked, whatever it is that's on the inside is going to come to the surface. Moses is no different here. Maybe this morning you're dealing with a little bit of jealousy or approval. Maybe you've always wanted somebody to tell you, hey, good job. Maybe it's at the office we're a little bit just overwhelmed with anxiety. If that boss, I'm going to wring his neck. Like, I'm, I've already filled out five different applications. I don't think he understands. I'm going to ruin his life. Maybe it's a little bit of fear. Fear, maybe it's, it's pride. Maybe it's a little bit of depression. Whatever it is, we keep those things bottled up and we keep those things suppressed because we have to keep the image up, Right? Nobody can know my dirt. Nobody can know the secrets that I have. And if they do, they'll, they'll think differently of me. Moses thought the same. And what bubbled up within him was anger and rage. And he murdered someone because of this. I, I think oftentimes I, I think about one of the saddest days in America. Um, Robin Williams, most of you know. And you probably have a favorite Robin Williams movie. Uh, the day that he passed away, we considered that one of the saddest days. And everybody was saying the same things. I can't believe that. I can't believe that he would do that. He was so funny. He always seemed so happy. And we were clueless. We couldn't have 
how could, we, how could he have possibly done this? And I think every single one of us has something like that. Every single one of us has something in our lives where people don't know about, where they look at us and say, I, I, I would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed that he struggled with alcohol. I would have never guessed that he went home every single night and chewed his wife out. I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed that he was like that. You see, pastors aren't immune to this. Pastors and religious leaders all the time, pastors, they fall and some crazy thing, they pop up in the news and every, there was just one this week and everybody looks at it and it's like, I can't believe it. Pastors aren't immune. We all have it. Whatever you've got, listen to me. The bottom line this morning, you don't take anything else away. The bottom line is simply this. Whatever you've got, it's going to come to the light. It's going to be pushed to the surface. The question is, Will it be too late? Will it be too late? For Moses, it's a little too late. He has to live with this for the rest of his life. He has to live with this, this emotional wound, this emotional scar, something that happened there. But look with me in just a little bit. Look with me in verse 15. Verse 15, when Pharaoh hears of this, he hears about the news that Moses has sought. Uh, to, he has killed the Egyptian. Pharaoh hears about it immediately. He sends a team. He says, we've got to go and find this Moses. There's a little bit of conflict here. There has to be. This is a family member now to Pharaoh. This is kind of like his grandson. And there's a little bit of strife. And he says, let's go and find Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh. He leaves and he moves into this land called Midian. And there he sits down by a well. Now, we don't really talk about wells that much in our day and in our age in this culture, but here in Exodus, it means something entirely different. Wells had a lot more meaning to them back in the day. They even named their wells. They had names for these wells. It was something that was passed down for a long time. You might have seen something maybe in a movie sometime where a character, the main character, he goes and he sees his reflection in the well, and he might get this message about what he needs to go and do with his life. Or he looks in the well, he sees the reflection, he knows about who he needs to become or what he needs to do. The well, it had this, it was where you would literally go and draw water. It had this meaning of life and vibrancy. The well is where we stay alive. The well is where we get water. The well is, is where we find our well-being. No pun intended. These days we, we often think about wells and our, our understanding of wells pretty much goes like this. Y'all got city water, y'all got well water. And that's about it. That was supposed to be funny. It happens in my house all the time. Somebody walks in, they go to get a glass of water. Y'all got city water? Well, we got city water. Not so much here in the book of Exodus. The, the, the well had a symbol for the soul. It was a symbol for one's well-being and a, a symbol for the soul. We see later in the New Testament where Jesus has one of the most epic moments in the New Testament. He sits down with the woman at the well and here at the well Jesus talks to this lady and he refers to himself as the living water and you see here in this moment whenever Moses sits down at this well he becomes somewhat of a truth teller it's no longer this back and forth who am I it's no longer this back and forth of this is something that's bubbling up in my life that I need to to put to rest here in this moment Moses his entire life is changed and we see something different, significantly different from him going 
forward for the rest of his life. And here, after this moment, Moses becomes one of the most influential men, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but in all of the history of our existence. But all of it changed right here at a well, where Moses is sitting down. He's just murdered a man. That fresh thought is sitting on his mind. And the Bible obviously doesn't explicitly say that these things are happening in his life. The Bible doesn't explicitly say where he's there to deal with God. But we know here in this moment that Moses' life is forever changed. And it's not so long after this, Moses meets his wife. God gifts him with a wife. It's not long after this where Moses comes face to face with the burning bush. It's not long after this where Moses is given this command saying, I want you to go before Pharaoh. But before all of that could happen, he's got to deal with some things. He's got to deal with some issues. And he sits here at this well, left alone with his thoughts, left alone with the memories of what has just occurred. He's, uh, he's kind of made up his decisions about who he really is. I'm sure that Moses in this moment is asking God a lot of questions. I'm sure that in this moment, Moses is asking God, why? Why did it have to be this way? Why was I born into such a awful circumstance into such a toxic situation why did i have two mothers why did i have two families why did i have to grow up within the house of pharaoh why and i'm sure that this anger is still there but it's angry with god have you ever asked yourself maybe you've asked god why is it this way what's the deal why is it so hard Why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Why is my work situation this way? Why is my family situation this way? Why did that happen 20 years ago? Why did I have to be put into this family? Why? Why, God? I don't know about you, but I've asked the Lord that several times within my life. Why? And I think also here, At this moment, Moses is probably asking himself, what is the root cause of this situation? What is the root cause of my anger? What is the root cause of my rage? What is the root cause of my depression? What is the root cause of my anxiety? What is the root behind this? You see, whenever we suppress things, we do our best to keep it hidden. But Moses, in this moment of solitude, moment, Moses is forced and he's moved into this moment with God where he can't keep anything hidden any longer, where the truth has to come out. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had this type of moment with God? Have you ever been to a well? Have you ever had that well-like moment? Well, maybe you're asking God a whole lot of questions, but maybe God's given a whole lot of answers. Where you allow God to speak into the situation, where you're allowing God to reveal places in your life, reveal thoughts in your life that are unhealthy, reveal situations in your life that are completely unhealthy that maybe you've never dealt with before. Moses has this moment. Have you ever had a moment in time in your life where you're sitting alone with no distractions? It's just you and God. 
It's just you and the Lord. And you to have this opportunity to wrestle with Him a little bit, to wrestle with God. We see that in the, New Test- or in the Old Testament where Jacob wrestled with God all night long and God wounded him for the rest of his life. I'm sure that God is dealing with Moses right here in this moment. Have you ever been alone with God with zero distractions, zero noise? It's just you and him, and he gets to highlight things to you that are completely, completely unhealthy. My one challenge to you this morning is to find solitude. To find solitude, to get away from the noise, to to pay attention to whatever it is that's been bubbling up inside, to find a well to sit at. What would it look like for just one hour? One hour, for those of you who might be advanced in this, and maybe maybe you've done this a lot in life, what would it look like for you to do this one hour a day? Just to sit at the feet of God and allow Him to highlight things in your life that have just not been given over to Him. Maybe it's once... A day for those of you who might be new to all of this and this is brand new to your life. Maybe it's just once a week where you sit alone with, again, no distraction, no noise, no phone, no notifications, no social media, no checking the email. It's just you and God. We've tried this here at Creekside before and I asked folks, I said, what would you find? What would you learn? They said, man, that was hard. I said, how long did you go? Ten minutes. It's tough. It's really hard to sit with no Fox News, no CNN, nothing. No newspaper, no babies. Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? What would it look like once a day, once a week to just sit alone with the Lord? And you see, here's the most powerful thing from all this is that whatever God was getting ready to do through Moses, God had to first do in Moses. He had to first deal with it in him before he was getting ready to deal with things through Moses. And though he would go on to do incredible things through him, he first had to do it in him. And maybe it is this way in your life that God has something incredible for you. He's got something in store for you. He's had it ready for you since the day you were born. But before, he's got to do a little bit of surgery. Right? Healthy things grow, unhealthy things grow too. Maybe God has to do a little bit of surgery in your life. And listen, I know it doesn't sound like much. You're like, like, just sit at God's feet. Like, just sit and have nothing there. No distraction, no noise. And you're like, I've got all this rage and anger and stress and anxiety. And all you're telling me to do is I just need to go and sit. It doesn't sound like a whole lot. It's powerful. It's powerful. Sometimes the things that speak the loudest are maybe the things that nothing is said or done at all. There's no noise. And I know that that probably doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I'm going to challenge you this week to find solitude with the Lord maybe once a day for an hour, maybe once this week at least for an hour. But I'm also going to challenge you to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to challenge you to lean in with us for the next six weeks through this series Because the next six weeks, we're going to talk a lot about not just what God did in Moses, but what God did through Moses and how each and every step of the way, God had to do just a little bit more. 
just a little bit more in Moses, just to get him in that next place so that he could get him ready to do something through him again, so that he could get ready to do something in him again. And it was just this refining process through Moses' life where he became this person. And God wants to do something incredible in your life, through your life. And maybe it starts with solitude. I'm also going to draw your attention to something this morning we have started uh, this week. We're starting just this week, something that uh, maybe you received it in this morning, but I hope you grab one on the way out. This is just a prayer and reading guide. And like I said, we haven't been going or we aren't going through the book of Exodus, but we are going through Moses' life. And over the next seven weeks, we're literally going to read through the book of Exodus together as a church. And you have different prayers for the week. You have different challenges for the week. And the challenge this week there in bold actions is to be still before God, to find time and space to be alone in prayer and in the Word. Are you up for the challenge? And this is a bold challenge to make, but this is the reality. Here's the truth that I promise that if you lean into this series over the next seven weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it is, if you lean into this, and if you come and you hear If you allow God to speak, you allow God to deal with you, if you follow these action steps, I promise you, over the next six weeks, you will at least be at a better place for spiritual and emotional health and well-being. I promise you. And I'm not saying that because of me, but I'm saying that because of what God wants to do and what God can do, that if you just put up all the distractions, that He will. So those are my challenges Because here's the reality. You keep blowing up. You keep doing. It's just your pattern. That's what you've been doing over your life. You keep blowing up at work. You keep blowing up at home. Your spouse knows it. They keep looking at you like, he's talking to you. You blew up at me on the ride here this morning. You get back in the car. Did you hear what the pastor had to say? But the reality is that you keep blowing up. You keep doing this. And you keep going back to that broken cistern, that broken place where you've been going maybe your entire life. You've never allowed God to deal with you in that area. You keep going back to it. And here's the the result. Here's the reality that God, He forgives you. God forgives you. Jesus forgives loves you. And the good news of the gospel is that we can't do anything to earn a relationship with Jesus. It's nothing about what we have done. It's nothing about what we ever will do in this life. It's all about His work on the cross, and we rest in that. So Jesus forgives you. Jesus loves you. But here's also the reality is that Jesus also died not for you to just be saved from the penalty of sin, but to be saved from the power of sin. And He wants this for your life to be released from whatever it is that the flesh continues to deal with. And you keep dealing with it. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's enough power in the cross to forgive you. There's also enough power in the cross to release you. To release you from that. And this morning, I I just want to I, I just want you to to call you. I want to call you to action. 
I want, to cause you, I want to call you to action. Will you choose to find solitude and allow Him to work? Or will you choose to continue down this path, ignore it, to keep it bottled up, where it stays unhealthy, where nobody knows about it? And I promise you, we're going to find out. But how do you want it to be found out? Through confession of sin, through rest in the gospel, or through blowing up and allowing sin to get the best? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we just ask you, God, we ask for you to do what only you can do, and that's to challenge us, to call us, to move us into a place of solitude, to move us into a place where we can become emotionally and spiritually healthy. God, some of us, uh, we might have even been in church our entire lives. Maybe we've known about the good news of Jesus and we've known about the good news of the cross, but we're still living as if that old sinful flesh and that old sinful desire still lives within us and and from time to time it gets the best of us and we keep looking at it and, and saying well I'm imperfect and I'm only human but that's not true We once lived apart from you without power, without hope. Now, God, through the lens of the cross, we have everything we need. As Romans 8 says, Romans 8, 13, that if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Maybe it starts this morning with isolation, with solitude, with moving ourselves to a place where we can finally hear from you, maybe for the very first time in a long time. We pray that you speak, Jesus. This morning, if you've come, just come with maybe a heavy heart. or Maybe you want somebody to pray with this morning. I'll be in the back of the room. My wife will be in the back of the room as well. And we stand ready to pray with you and talk through whatever it is. Don't keep it hidden. Don't keep it bubbling up within. Don't leave unchanged. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus. And and I hope that you're excited about this. I hope that you're ready to push forward into this process. But the process starts with following Christ and allowing Him to be the King of your life. And if you've never had or started a relationship with Jesus, I pray that this morning that that would be the first place you start to receive the good news of the cross, to give your life over to Him and to follow Him for the rest of your days. We pray this morning that you would be obedient.